everyone deserves that one-on-one touch where you get to meet with somebody personally, sit them, have them look you in the eye, address your particular situation. This is Blair Durham with Black Wall Street Today, your media hub for all things black entrepreneurship, politics, news, and events in Hampton Roads and beyond. When I say black, y'all say Wall Street. Black. Wall Street. Black Wall Street. When I say black, y'all say Wall Street. Black. Black. Blair Durham. Greetings. Hey, hey, welcome to this 18th edition of Black Wall Street Today with Blair Durham. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Are you considering starting a business? Here are 10 ways to evaluate a market from the popular book, The Personal MBA by Josh Kaufman. This information was actually shared to the Black Brand Members Only Group by its chairman of the board, Ronaldo Randall. I thought it fitting to share with our listeners today. First, urgency. How badly do people want or need this right now? Second, market size. How many people are actively purchasing things like this? Third, pricing potential. What's the highest average price a purchaser would be willing to spend for a solution? Fourth is the cost of customer acquisition. How easy is it to acquire a new customer? Fifth is the cost of value delivery. How much would it cost to create and deliver the value offered both in money and effort? Sixth is uniqueness of the offer. How unique is your offer versus competing offerings in the market? And how easy is it for potential competitors to copy you? Seven is speed to market. How quickly can you create something to sell? Eight is the upfront investment. How much will you have to invest before you're ready to sell? Nine is your upsell potential. Are there related secondary offers that you could also present to purchasing customers? And the 10th way to evaluate a market is to consider its evergreen potential. Once the initial offer has been created, how much additional work will you have to put in in order to continue selling? First up today is our fourth installment on our Stocks and Entrepreneurship series with J.R. Fenwick, Hampton University alum and founder and CEO of FlipThatStock.com, as well as award-winning author of How I Quit My $100,000 a Year Job. J.R., welcome back to the show. Hey, it's great to be back. How you doing? We are building. I am so excited. Let's let's hop right in. What do you have for us today, J.R.? What are we going to discuss? All right, so today we're going to deep, uh, dig a little dive, uh, dive a little deeper into uh, some of these subjects on the stock market. So the first thing yes. up is I want your listeners to get a good understanding uh, between the difference between trading and investing. Okay. Uh, a lot of people use these terms interchangeably, and they're not the same thing. And so, <clears throat> excuse me. And so um, you can think of it this way is that investors are people who are looking uh, down the road into the future. So if you buy a stock or shares of a stock and you hold it for a year or longer, you're considered an investor. And typically investors are looking like, you know, um, for retirement, maybe paying for college or vacation. Or I have a friend who had some shares of stock and um, held them for years. And then after she got into medical school, she cashed in her stocks to uh, start up her medical practice. Oh, wow. So investors, yeah, more long-term. Traders are in it to generate what we call right now money. Okay. They say, hey, got right now bills. We want to make some right now money. Got it. And so traders are in and out of the market. They could uh, buy and hold a stock for a uh, few months, a few weeks. Uh, they could do it for a few days, a, a few uh, hours, minutes, even seconds. 
And so, uh, there, and by the way, there is no law that says that you have to hold a stock for a certain period of time. So you can go in, buy a stock, and two minutes later, if it goes up mm-hmm. or does what you want it to do, you can sell it. Or if it doesn't do what you want it to do, uh, you can get rid of it. And so um, uh, it's very important to understand the difference uh, between that. So the difference between trading and investing. I love it. We're talking about strategy here. This is this is good stuff. Yeah, another point that uh, like uh, the listening audience to, to grab a hold of is uh, oftentimes they may turn on the TV and uh, uh, you know read in the news somewhere that you know it's a bull market, it's a bull market, or it's a bear market. And uh, I used to hear these terms, wondering like, what does an animal have to do with the stock market? Right, a bull and a bear, right? So. I'm not quite sure who came up with this concept or what they were doing when they came up with the concept. Mm-hmm. But you think of it this way, is that a bull, if it were to attack, um, it would it would lower its head and come up with its horns. Got it. And so they call it a bull market when overall stock market is going up. Okay. You know, just like a bull coming up to attack. And if a bear is going to attack, it gets up on its hind legs and then comes down. And so uh, a bear market is when, um, you know, the overall market is going down. And so, again, you know, it's interesting when you when you pull back the curtain, mm-hmm. these concepts are not difficult. Right, like, right. You know, a lot of people think there are really some simplistic answers behind them. And uh, that's what we do at Flip That Stock. We get to the simplistic answer to teach it. So that's another um, uh, key point. Makes sense. I think your listeners should grasp. In fact, if you're just tuning in, this is Blair Durham with Black Wall Street today. We're just getting an exciting conversation uh, about the stock market underway with Mr. J.R. Fenwick, who is founder and CEO of FlipThatStock.com. This is the fourth installment on our stocks and entrepreneurship uh, training, is what I'm going to call it. So let me ask you this: What are some of the things that can kind of create that bull versus that bear market? So what are the things that that make it go up and down? So yeah, that's a great question. Um, there's uh, there's there's a lot of different things, but I, I'll share with you five that are probably the most common okay. uh, that can make a uh, a stock go up or down, or the market be bull or, or bear. Okay. And um, and if you think of these, um, again, nothing complicated. So uh, news, whether it's good news, whether it's so-called fake news, mm. um, could affect a stock. You know, going up or down. And it's interesting, like, when you understand these things, uh, it's not a guarantee, but you can kind of project out maybe which way a stock will go based on some of these things. So news is one. Okay. Uh, rumors is another one. Hmm. You know, um, I often say that, like, and I'm just making this example up, so I don't want your audience to run out and say, he says that I'm just making this up, as I say. So here's a rumor, like, uh, you know, the new iPhone 15 you'll be able to put on your steering wheel and it'll drive your car gotcha. yeah I'm making this up don't nobody go out and say yeah but <laughs> if somebody put that type of rumor out there'd be people who would believe it and they'd be lined up you know ready to uh, you know buy this and, and stick it on their car and all this type of stuff so rumors again whether true or not uh, another thing real quick is earnings reports when you buy shares or stock mm-hmm. they have to give you an earnings report tell you what they you know 
did they meet their anticipated goal for the quarter? They may say, hey, I want to make $100 million, and they made $2 million. Well, they got to tell everybody that, and their stock may go down. Or vice versa, they say, we thought we were going to make $100 million, we made $500 million. Right. Their stock may skyrocket. Okay. So uh, that's another thing. Interest rates, those can affect uh, the stock going up and down. Unemployment, that can affect uh, stocks going up and down. So those are five of the most common things that can affect you know, the direction of the market, making it a bull or bear market. Hmm. Interesting. I'm just thinking now, you, you mentioned um, how it is that we can anticipate the trends and then ultimately make uh, decisions with regard to trading and investing. Um, yeah, it seems, it seems fascinating. I'm excited. So what's the main indicator that would sort of determine the overall health of the stock market? So, yeah, so you know how, how let me use an analogy here. You know how you, if you go to the doctor, um, before you even see the doctor, talking about like a, like a primary care doctor, a family practice doctor, and before you even see the doctor, they will take, you know, your, uh, your weight, your temperature, and, uh, and your blood pressure. And the reason they do that is because those three things are three indicators of your overall health. It doesn't mean that you don't have a cold or a flu if all of those are normal, but it just gives them an indication of your overall health. Got it. And so in the stock market, they have something similar. And the main indicator that they use that you hear on TV all the time is called the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which um, a lot of people just call the Dow. Yeah. So what is the Dow? All right. So. Again, not complicated. All the Dow, I just want people to think of a, of a shopping cart that's holding uh, 30 stocks in it. Okay. 30 huge stocks, uh, like uh, Apple, Exxon, uh, big, big companies. So whichever way these stocks, well, first of all, every day and throughout the day, they average, they have a formula to average the performance of these stocks. Okay. And if overall these stocks are going up, you'll hear on TV, oh, the market's going up by, and they say it in points, 100 points, 200 points. Mm -hmm. Or overall, if they're coming down, it'll say, uh, you know, the market's gone down by 200 points. These 30 stocks um, would be like an elephant getting in a backyard swimming pool. So if they get in the swimming pool, the water's going to go up. If they get out of the swimming pool, the water's going to go down. So kind of whichever way these 30 huge companies go, even though there's thousands and thousands of companies that you can buy stocks in, whichever way these um, big, huge companies go tend to pull the market in one direction or other. Not a guarantee, but just in talking in general terms. But the next time that your uh, listening audience turns on the TV or hears, oh, the market's going through the roof and this hour's going down, they're talking about the Dow and these 30 companies. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the stock that they own or stocks that they own are be going through the roof because the Dow is, but it could be. So, but I just wanted to make sure that everybody understands these little simple things that um, they try and make it sound so complex and this, that, you know, you know well, uh, the Dow, you know, the Dow is going to, 
Right, right. It's just 30 companies. Actually, it's just, just 30 companies. As we're finishing up here really quickly, uh, Blair Durham here with Black Wall Street today, having a conversation with J.R. Fenwick about the stock market. Uh, this is, we're finishing up our fourth installment on the Stocks and Entrepreneurship series. I want to clarify about the Dow. So is it is it literally 30 stocks or was that just part of your example, just to say, you know, the shopping cart full of the 30 stocks? It's actually 30 companies right. no. that are part of that Dow? It, it, it is literally 30 stocks. Literally, so okay. I, I don't know the exact number of stocks on the on all the stock market. I think it's like 10,000 or something like that are close yeah. to it. But it's literally just 30 stocks. Okay. But again, these companies are si- so ginormous, right? Like mm-hmm. Apple is worth almost a trillion dollars. Right, right, right. It was worth a trillion. So... So they're okay. so large that if you were to average the performance of that particular group, it is an indication of the health of the stock market. Or the exactly. Direction. Okay. Exactly. That makes sense. And again, we just use these, you know, um, think about this too. The stock market is almost like a, a living, breathing uh, item or person mm-hmm. because it's made up of people's emotions and sentiments, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So let's say you turn on the TV and it says the economy is great, unemployment's low, the the market's going through the roof, it's a bull market, it's a bull market. So people get excited and they say, oh, let me start buying some stocks, let me go buy this stock, and it drives the market up because of the sentiment of the people. So all of this is really based on people and emotions and, um, you know, part of investing is kind of looking at the sentiment of the people and emotions and what we feel the value of that company is. Ultimately, the open market and the people decide what the value of a company. They say, I'm willing to pay X amount for the stock or I'm not willing to pay for it. The company could have great financials on the books, great products and all that. But if people say, I'm just not going to buy it for you know, $100 a share, I'm only willing to pay twenty dollars a share. Well, that's gonna—that's what the value of the company is gonna be. You know, so it's really interesting. You know, when you get into this, um, the different indicators that you can use, and, and we use different indicators if we're investing versus trading. Um, it's totally different strategies. So, um, you know, we really dive a little deeper into that. Um, when people are, are involved in our course to really determine, you know, how to get the best outcome. But it's different strategies for investing and trading. Got you. Okay. So let's do two things as we're wrapping up. We've got five minutes. And I want to first kind of just give an overview of what's going to be shared next week because I want to make sure people are tuning in for that for that last installment. And then let's also, because I know we've got you know, listeners all over the country via iHeartRadio. Can you just give a couple of dates around the country where you're going to be speaking? Yeah, sure. Okay. So, uh, so what I what I want to do next week uh, to kind of wrap up this five part series is just do a quick recap of some of the things that we talked about and kind of uh, pull it all together. So each week we've kind of been given like some pieces of a puzzle, and I want to kind of pull these pieces of the puzzle together, all right, and just kind of show people how, uh, and even maybe give an example uh, uh, of a stock in, in, in 
you know, either uh, buying it or investing or trading. Um, and just an example of that, just the whole flow. Um, and also, I want to kind of throw some uh, unusual entrepreneurship principles in there that I think people will find valuable. Uh, because in today's economy, especially with the government shut down, I heard you 10 points earlier, which were just uh, fabulous. Um, so I want to kind of give a, a, some, some more perspective on that. Okay, and just kind of put everything in a nice, neat package for folks. Okay. Um, and as far as uh, where I'll be around the country. Yes, give, um, us, give us some dates, times, and locations. <laughs> okay. All right. So this Saturday, uh, we will be in Laurel, Maryland, which is the D.C. area. Uh, and uh, that's uh, Saturday we'll be in Greenbelt at the okay. Greenbelt Library. Uh, February 9th, we'll be in Laurel, Maryland, at the Laurel Library. Uh, we'll be coming to Cleveland, Ohio, uh, and we'll be doing a program with Dr. George Frazier, founder Perfect. of the Power Networking Conference and FrazierNet. What's the date uh, for that conference? That, I want to say it's February 9th. Okay. Uh, but let me say this, all these dates will be posted on a live L-I-V-E mm-hmm. seminar registration.com live seminar registration.com that was not up yet but if people just check back weekly uh, we'll be updated uh, we just also got invited to go to Alaska oh, wow. to speak uh, at a conference I don't have all the details on that but we'll be doing that and Blair I'll be getting with you to come down to the Hampton uh, Tidewater area yes, to put I'm on a special conference the, what am I hoping for the third Saturday in April <laughs> we'll talk more about yeah, it though, I think okay yeah so this is great so we've got a couple down. things coming up in the Maryland DC area we've got the power networking conference with Dr. George Frazier um, some pieces in Alaska and then it's live seminar registration.com is that right live seminar registration.com and uh, the website is flip that stock.com uh, we'll also be in Houston Houston in June okay so um, we Houston, got we, we'll be across the country okay yeah Perfect. I love it. Just super excited about your mission. Again, it's it's 1,000 new investors, right? That's your goal for this year? Yeah. Our goal is to uh, take 1,000 beginners and teach them to become traders and investors, active traders and investors, meaning they know how to do it. They're not just following, well, what's JR's stock pick of the day? No. I want you to know how to go in, use the technology, use the information, and pick and find stocks, analyze them, trade them, or invest them yourself. That's our goal. 1,000 self-sufficient traders and investors. That's perfect. JR, I want to thank you so much for this time. I am definitely looking forward to next week. This has been great. Now we turn to our special feature on financial planning with Mr. and Mrs. Royster. Kenneth Royster of First Genesis of Virginia is a well-trained financial planner. He specifically focuses on retirement planning, wealth accumulation, and asset protection. He also focuses on clergy compensation planning and planning for business owners. He has 34 years of successful sales, in-depth experience, and training in financial services and insurance, and he's currently the team leader at First Genesis of Virginia. Kenneth is licensed to sell securities and life products in over 25 states. 
We'll also welcome Ms. Danica Royster. She is a wealth consultant at First Genesis of Virginia, LLC. She's well-trained in financial services and focuses on building her practice using a holistic approach when assisting clients in working towards their financial planning goals and objectives. She specifically focuses her strategies on retirement planning, wealth accumulation, educational funding for college and asset protection. She also focuses on clergy compensation strategies, funding for college and asset protection, as well as enhancing financial literacy in the Black community. She hopes to partner with various organizations to empower her generation in Hampton Roads and beyond. I want to thank you both so much for being here today. Thank you for having us, Blair. That was a mouthful. You guys come with such great experience. So excited about what you're doing in the community. I just want to have, and actually let me point out, I am going to open up the phone lines in a bit. So if you've got questions for our financial planner and wealth strategist, please give us a call at 757-727-5711. But I want to kind of open up the dialogue by talking about specifically what is the role of a financial planner? I think there's so many titles out here, you know, everybody's doing something in finance, uh, but I'd like you to just speak to what is it that a financial planner really does? That's a wonderful question, Blair. Um, From my perspective as an advisor who works directly with clients, I believe that we add value, financial value to our clients' lives, particularly with addressing their financial goals and objectives and assisting them with coming up, a strat- coming up with a strategy to address those items. Often I meet with people and they know or they've been referred and they're like, someone told me that I need to get with you to get my financial life together. Mm-hmm. And I tell people all the time that what does that mean to you? Because finances isn't one size fits all. Sure. Get my life together could be help me with my budget. Get my life together could be, hey, um, I know I have these benefits at my job, but I don't know how to manage them. Get my life together could be, I have a family and I want to make sure I'm doing everything that I can do to make sure that I'm protecting them as well as setting setting ourselves up so that I'm creating a legacy for my kids. So our goal and our objective is to assist those clients, not only with educating them, but providing them with a playbook on how to be financially successful. So what I hear you saying is these are custom solutions, right? This is not, you don't do the same thing with every client. No, not at all. And I think often sometimes, you know, people will find a a piece on Facebook or YouTube or read some link and they'll think that, hey, All I got to do is do these three things that this person, quote unquote, financial coach guru said, and I'm going to be wealthy. They're going to show me how to turn five dollars into five thousand dollars. And you have to question yourself and wonder if it was that easy, wouldn't everybody be rich? Right. Right. And one of the things I talk to my clients about or people who I just speak with in general is saying, don't you want to have a relationship with somebody who is invested in you and your future, making sure that they're doing for you? A book is great to get knowledge. Going to seminars is great to obtain knowledge as well. However, everyone deserves that one-on-one touch where you get to meet with somebody personally, sit them, have them look you in the eye, address your particular situation, and help you accomplish your goals. I love it. You mentioned something uh, interesting, right? So it's kind of the best of times, the worst of times with being able to access all this content online, right? We love being able to go to YouTube University and Uh learn about something we didn't know about. But what specific credentials, certifications, licensure do you all have to have in order to um, act as financial planners, financial advisors, et cetera? 
well, the most basic of licensing is, you know, having a Series 6 or a Series 63 license. When you start moving up market to clients who uh, are stock investors or ETF investors, you're going to need a Series 7 license. And if you are charging for your services, you need a Series 65 or 66, which is an advisory license. Got it. Okay. And so those are the basic uh, entry-level credentials to get into the marketplace. Uh, from there, you can gain designations such as the CFP designation, the CLU designation, the CHFC. There's a lot of designations for specialists. Sure. that uh, say that they're specialists or they are uh, what we call well-trained generalists. And so depending on your career track as an advisor, you will choose those tracks and kind of uh, educate yourself so that you can get these proper certifications so that you're better uh, positioned to serve your clients. Uh, one of the things I'd like to, to share with your audience today is sure. that um, uh, there's this idea of getting rich uh, is, uh, is not a great thing. Okay, no. and let me explain hmm. to you why. People get disappointed with failure quickly, and therefore they don't do the necessary steps to uh, empower themselves uh, economically. Uh, I've often told people that uh, rich means different things to different people. And I gave an example during the Enron crisis when uh, Kenneth Lee, who was the CEO of Enron, was questioned by a reporter about the fact that he said he was broke. And they said, well, Mr. Lay, you, you own 42 houses. Uh, how could you say that you're broke? He says, well, broke being different things to different people. Okay? He right. was a multimillionaire. And so not having money but having the houses didn't mean anything to him anymore. The government had seized his wealth for, as far as he was concerned. Now, we're intentionally serving the African-American community. Uh, 90% of our clients are African-American, and they run a, a really big gamut from uh, what we call the basic family, where it could be a single mom working every day to support herself and her child. On the other side, a husband and wife thriving with great careers, making good six-figure incomes, and so forth and so on. Uh, and we serve those people. But the key is everybody has to have some type of goal. Sure. as it relates to themselves, not in general. So as my daughter said earlier... So getting rich is not really a specific, measurable, <laughs> no. achievable goal. No, no. And, and certainly chasing wealth quickly is really, really is ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, everyone that, I, that you may know and everyone that I know uh, over life have built something. Right. And it takes time to build something. Let me just interject quickly. If you've just tuned in, this is Blair Durham with Black Wall Street Today. We are sitting with uh, Mr. and Mrs. Royster of First, First Genesis of Virginia LLC. They have a focus on empowering the black community through finance. Wow. So I have a note here that you need to say all of what you just said pertinent to wealth building again, <laughs> right? Um, the fact that getting rich is just not... It's not a goal. No, it's not. Uh, the, the reality is, 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 is getting financially secure is the goal. Sure. Uh, one thing I, uh, when I engage a client new, one of the things I ask them is about financial independence and do they understand what that means? Mm -hmm. Financial independence means that you no longer are uh, dependent on a job. You have enough wealth and enough streams of income coming in where you no longer are dependent on somebody else's employment for you to live. We had the fortune of meeting our 
uh, Earl Butch Graves some time ago. And uh, he gave a, a talk and he says that, think about 10 years of your earnings. Then you have achieved a level of wealth. 10 years of your mm -hmm. earnings. So if you make $30,000 a year, it should be 300,000. Mm -hmm. If you make 300,000, then it should be 3 million. But he said that if you don't have 10 years of your earning power saved, you're not wealthy. You have not achieved anything until you've gotten there. Now, as I said earlier, those numbers sound astronomical for a $30,000 a year earner. But the truth is they have pretty much uh, anywhere between 30 to 40 years to achieve it. Sure. And when you spoke earlier to me about the compounding, uh, the rule of 72, mm -hmm. this is where that would then come into play. What's my equation over the next 30 to 40 years? How much do I have to put in if money is doubling at a certain rate of return Okay, to get there? You need a financial advisor, financial planner to help you navigate that number. Mm -hmm. Okay, one of my favorite commercials came from one of our competitors years ago where a guy was up on the hedges cutting his hedges and uh, some guy walks by and he's toting this number. And the guy says to him, what you got there? He says, this is my number. He says, what number? He says, this is my retirement number. I know it. Do you know yours? That's good. And a lot of people don't know their number. And then when they get to the age of retirement, they call 65, they realize that their number doesn't match up with their age. And that's when it's problemsome. And so what we try to do is eradicate that early by getting people to their numbers, whether it's educating your children, your down payment for your home, and then retirement ultimately is the last one. But you got to know these numbers and you have to start moving yourself towards your numbers. So again, this thing about rich no. What are my goals, my objectives, and what do those numbers look like? And can I get there with what I'm doing? Really good. Again, this is Blair Durham. Uh, this is Black Wall Street Today. We are with Kenneth and Danica Royster. I think I may have ruined your name early. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> Having a conversation about what it really takes to build wealth. Of course, we're focused on on rebuilding Black Wall Street. And so certainly having an understanding of personal finance uh, is 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 very relevant. So say more. I mean, I'm curious about sort of your experience with the community. Are you all, um, are you doing speaking events? Are you, where are you in terms of engaging the community directly? We engage the community on several levels. Um, okay. Past the individual, we have several partnerships with various organizations in the area, as well as the religious community with several churches and networks that uh we've been in partnership with over the years. Okay. Um, in fact, I have to give a shout out to Hampton University School of Pharmacy, awesome. where we actually have a relationship here at the university where we engage the P4 students who are on their way into the real world, as you would say, and we host a seminar with them that is um, used to be a requirement for graduation. Often um, when I meet college grads, the first thing that they come out their mouth and say is, Man, I wish some, there was a class on campus for this, or I wish there was some access for this. So my goal is not only, you know, continue the relationships that I have with the universities, the religious community, as well as several uh, Greek sororities and fraternities in this area, but to also uh, connect with other professionals and professional groups. Because even though it's great that if we could get on campus and talk to everyone and everyone always says, if I didn't have this information when I was 18, I said, now take a pause. 
you had this information when you were 18. You didn't have a job. You're probably more concerned about financial aid and passing classes. How about we engage the younger generation, um, college grads, like that senior year or leading into this is the start of my job. So we try to touch people through um, the seminars we hold locally in the area, connecting with other groups in this area. There's a Hampton Rose Black Young Professional Group where actually the uh, coordinator for that, we came up with a January debt challenge. Something that's very foundational, but still necessary, particularly for people in our community Mm -hmm. as a good entryway. And so we're doing that We have a seminar, actually, quick plug, this Saturday, and it's open and free to the public. This is free, people. Please come out. Mm -hmm. And it's actually um, being hosted by the Chesapeake, Virginia Beach chapter of Delta Sigma Theta. And um, as we before we close the the, um, program, I'll make sure I give that information to you as well to share. But we're trying to create more of those relationships, more of those partnerships that we're reaching our people and giving them the information that they need and the credible information that they need so they can move forward and be able to, you know, tackle their finances. One of the things, particularly in our community, that we always are addressing is closing the wealth gap. Right. And from my personal view, I think that all starts with education. So financial literacy is important, but the next step is implementation. And I think that's where me and Ken come into play as it relates to helping you. Because now that you have this knowledge, you went to the seminar, you read the book, have you found someone who you trust now to help you carry it through and hold you accountable to your goals? Great. If you're just tuning in, this is Blair Durham with Black Wall Street Today. Uh, we have the Roysters in the building with First Genesis of Virginia LLC. They are focused squarely on financial literacy for the black community, providing a suite of financial products and services. As we were getting started, Kenneth, um, you mentioned, you know, before we focus on this or that, we really need to focus on saving money. So I want to hear from you. Um, and our phone lines are open as well. 757-727-5711. What are some of those strategies? How how do we implement this goal of really beginning to save money? Well, we're used to, you know, living from paycheck to paycheck, maybe spending more than we make and, and all of these bad habits. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> we've been plugging people today, so I've got to do another one. Uh, plug, to, plug to, away. To, to, this uh, is the radio. To, to uh, Dr. Dwight Riddick. Some years ago, sure. uh, he came to me, approached me, says, Ken, um, our folks need to learn how to save money. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a pastor at Gethsemane Baptist Church here in Newport News. Mm-hmm. And um, he says, can you come out and do a workshop on $25? What $25 can do? And I told him, I certainly will do that. And to my surprise, 200 people showed up for that workshop, about $25. What it said to me a signal was that there is there are people out here who don't know that they can start saving money because no one will talk to them generally of my caliber or Danica's caliber with $25. But the fact that we are connected to our community, they were able to gain the resource. So we started talking about saving $25 a week, $25 a week, week, $25 every two weeks, $25 a month. Okay. Let's save it. And understand that this is money that you don't go get. You put it and push it away from yourself. You have to learn to push it away. And I then showed them the compounding effect over it over a period of time. And you may or may not know that the average savings account for an African-American in this country is about $1,000. That's scary. 
Okay? It is scary. Okay? And that at retirement, that our retirement accounts are four times less than our white counterparts. And it's not just because they had a head start. It's what they do over their lifetime with what they have. Right. All right? And so if you make consuming decisions, such as I'm going to spend uh, $1,000 on a car payment, but I don't own a home, those are bad choices. Sure. If you decide that because your circle is so affluent and so fine that at Christmas time, you spend $2,000 of money you don't have buying presents for people who don't need them. Sure. Instead of saving that money. If you take your, quote, income tax check and you predetermine its spending pattern before it even hits your hand. Mm -hmm. Again, these are mistakes that you are making. We've talked to people about something as basic as that. How about if you saved half of your income tax return? Not all of it. Mm -hmm. Half every single year and never touched it. Mm -hmm. And let's just say your average tax return was $1,500. It's $750, mm-hmm. okay? And in 10 years, you have $10,000. You make a really <laughs> valid point there. I think about, you know, we may understand all of how it is we got to this place mm-hmm. of conspicuous consumption. We might, you know, get it psychologically. We might understand it. But until we really start to change those behaviors, we can't rebuild Black Wall Street. That's correct. And you start talking about owning businesses. And, and self-determination. Mm-hmm. That's another show, okay? But we have to get back to that. But if we don't have capital, right. it's a different era than before. It costs a lot more to start a business and maintain one than it did in the past. And therefore, with all the economic pressures, you have to be even a greater steward of what you have in order to succeed. Sure. We are finishing up an awesome, awesome show. Uh, and I just want to apologize to Danica and to Kenneth for my uh, repeated referring to them as husband and wife when they are, in fact, father and daughter. My apologies, but uh, just enjoying the fact that they are really building a legacy through entrepreneurship. Um, they are a Black family-owned business, so certainly uh, as your financial needs continue to develop, contact First Genesis of Virginia. Stay with us online at Black Wall Street Today on Facebook and Black Wall Street Today on Instagram. And then follow us on Twitter as well at BWS Today. We look forward to talking again next week. Have a wonderful week. I have said and I will continue to say that the most important priority for the black community is the black community, not a particular political party. (laughs) 